jumping back into Romans, and I hope uh, you have enjoyed Romans. It is not, uh, I think most of you are seeing, uh, it is not the uh, lightest book in our Bibles, uh, but I will um, try my best to kind of get through. I've got some big things to talk about today, so we're going to kind of jump right in and just kind of an overview of our three weeks that we have been in Romans. Uh, We have kind of jumped from argument to argument that Paul is making uh, through this, but there's been a progression. So we started off the first week talking about, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but Paul continues, it is the power of God for salvation. And then we began talking about uh, last week that everyone is in need of salvation because we all suffer from sin. Jew, Gentile, we all suffer from sin. We've talked about grace being a gift from God, but because we are justified, we have peace with God. But not only do we have peace with God through justification, but we have hope, we have the Holy Spirit, we have salvation. And so all of these things are kind of where where we are coming from. Chapter six uh, gets us into uh, kind of the next piece of this argument. And really Paul here is dealing with his critics. And so part of the issue that Paul, we're going to see that he's dealing with is if grace is a free gift of God, then should we not continue sinning? And so Paul jumps kind of directly into this argument. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. We'll read verses 1 down through 14. Uh, And this will probably be a familiar passage to many of you. It is one that I use uh, whenever I talk about baptism. Uh, We get a lot of our theology of baptism from this passage. So chapter 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that it may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules or has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all time. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God, just as the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness, but offer yourselves. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, if you didn't notice, this is a very kind of heavy rhetorical passage. There's a lot of arguments going on. There's a lot of things that Paul is saying. But what I wanna do is I kind of break it down and break it down by telling you just a a real quick story 
uh, one of the people that I read pretty regularly, she teaches at the Lutheran Seminary in Minneapolis, and her name is Catherine Schiffedecker. Say that 10 times real fast. But one of the stories that I've heard her tell about this passage is about one of her friends in college. They were in college. She had grown up with this lady or with this girl, and she just saw her going the wrong way in life. She was making bad decisions. She was you know, in college, a little bit of a party girl, all of those things going on. And so one day at church, Catherine, as a college student, went to her and she said, I am really, really worried about the way you're living your life. And I'm worried about your relationship with God. And she said her friend didn't miss a beat. And her friend said, don't you worry about my relationship with God. I love to sin and God loves to forgive. Now, that's, that hopefully kind of makes us a little uncomfortable. But this is the story, and this is what Paul is dealing with in this passage. This is the argument that he's dealing with from his critics. And so today I want to talk about kind of three misunderstandings that we see and, and, and how, we kind of, how this all plays out. Chapter 5 is where we were last week, and one of the verses that we didn't uh, we didn't read, but where this argument kind of comes from is in chapter 5, verse 20, says the law came along to multiply the trespass or multiply the sin, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Now, if you just take that verse right there, you can see where Paul is dealing with this argument and also where Catherine's friend is dealing with the argument. Hey, I love to sin. God loves to forgive. It's a pretty good relationship. We're going to talk in just a moment about grace coming from the root word, where we, the same word we get charismatic or charisma. The, the root word in Greek for grace is the same word for joy. God's joy is to forgive you. If God's joy is to forgive me, shouldn't I just make God more joyful? I mean, that sounds like a pretty good argument. And so Paul takes this and, and, and really kind of attacks this. And there's three things. So we're going we're to break up the sermon into kind of three big points. And I, let me say this before we look at the three points. There is no way that y'all want to listen to me fully preach a sermon on all three of these points. There's a lot I'm going to leave out, all right? Because y'all, we don't want to be here till next week, all right? So we're going to look at these three points, and we're going to kind of skim over the top of all three points, and we should be out by like two. Is that good with everybody? All right, all right. So Three points. These are the three misunderstandings that Paul is dealing with in Romans 6. Or these are the three we're going to talk about. There's probably some more. We're going to skim across them, but I want you to see them. So three misunderstandings that we see. First off, we don't understand sin. Or the people making this argument don't understand sin. That's, that's the first misunderstanding. The second misunderstanding is, is that we don't understand grace. And the third one, which is a whole sermon series in itself, the third one is, is we don't understand the work of the cross concerning transformation. We, we, we miss sometimes, or we miss a lot of times, what Christ actually did on the cross when it comes to regard of the transformation in our lives. So we're going to talk about that when we get to the end of the sermon. We're going to kind of move through these quickly, all right? All right, so let's go to the first one. We don't understand sin. So let's just talk just for a moment um, about this. Now, if we were good Nazarenes, I know we are, we could turn to the articles of faith 
And if we turn to our articles of faith, one of our articles is on sin. We believe in, the basic article is we believe in both original and personal sin. But this is what the article actually says. We believe, so this is what we believe as Nazarenes, that sin came into the world through the disobedience of our first parents. Who are they? Adam and Eve. All right, that's not your actual parents. Adam and Eve. And death by sin. So we believe Sin came into the world through the disobedience of our first parents and death by sin. We believe that sin is of two kinds. Original sin, sometimes called depravity, and actual or personal sin. Okay, so this is, this is Article 5, and so this is what we believe. We believe that there is original sin and there is personal sin. And in personal sin, we also know that there are both sins of commission and sins of omission. All right, now, some of you are like, I, Pastor, I have no idea what you're talking about. So let's, let's break this down, but let's go, can we go backwards? We're gonna deal with original sin second. We'll deal with personal sin first. So let's kind of walk through these two things. Sin of commissions, commission is where we get the word, or comes from the root word commit, okay? So sins of commission are the sins that we commit. Everybody with me on that? All right, so what, do, what are sins of commission? What are those things, what do those look like? We're human and we like lists, all right? So there's a list, actually, there's multiple lists in our Bible, but the ones we're gonna look at is in Galatians chapter five, Paul tells us what these, what these look like. Paul says in Galatians 5, 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious, okay? Sexual sin or sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, Look at that. All right, we're just gonna, we're quitting right there. That was all we needed. All right, no, it'll come back. All right, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions. Y'all, are y'all enjoying this list so far? All right, envy, drunkenness, carousing. And here's, here's the, the key statement that I want, I want to point out to you. And anything similar. Because as Christians, we like to be like, okay, where's my list? And as long as I'm not doing anything on the list, I'm good. And then Paul says, I know y'all. And I want to make sure that you think it's not just this list, but anything similar. Now, you're like, that, that, leaves, that leaves a whole lot of other stuff. What does he mean by anything similar? Here's the question. If you go back and you read that list, Galatians 5, start at verse 19, read through the list, there is a common thread running through these items. And the common set, thread that runs through these items is these things don't bring life. Last week, the last point of my sermon was God sought life. That there are actions that we take in life that seek life, and there are actions that we take in life that hurt or destroy life. And if you want to know, is this a sin or not, does it bring life? Does it hurt life? Does it hurt someone else? Does it, does it hurt life? Or is it seeking life? Those things destroy life. And so we as the people, when we want to get into that anything similar, what does Paul mean? I think Paul is saying the things that are seeking life, those are the things that we seek. 
because God is seeking life. Now, there's also on that little list our sins of omission. What are sins of omission? This, this is where we get nervous. Sins of omission, okay? If commission is sins we commit, sins of omission are sins that we omit. Are you all with me? These are the things that we don't do. Now, let's just look at a verse real quick, and then I'm going to talk about it, because this is the one that makes all of us nervous, and it, it's okay. So let's look at it. Uh, James 4, 17. So it is, uh, it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Now, what is going on with that screen over there? Who knows? Let's just stay over here. All right, so sin is to know the good and yet not do it. So some of you read that and you're like, Pastor, are you telling me that there are sins in this world that, that happen that I don't even... I don't even know that I commit because I, I don't do anything. And some of you, I know how you think. You think, I, I'm going to wear this heaviness on me because I'm always going to think, if, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, is that a sin? Let me, let me say it this way. Let me tell you, some of y'all might have heard this story. Let me tell you a story about me in the fourth grade. I went to a private school that was sponsored uh, by a denomination and we were told from first grade all the way through elementary by our teachers all the time, we were told the same thing, which was every night, well, we were told this one thing first, that you sin every day in word, thought, and deed. We were told that all the time. And then we were told every night before you go to sleep, you need to pray a prayer. And the prayer is this, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. And if you don't pray that prayer before you go to sleep, if you die in your sleep, you go to hell. This is what the teachers told us. I was a little kid. I'm like, Ugh. well, I got to the fourth grade. Miss Stamps, who did not like me, contrary to what my mother said, I got all kinds of stories about Miss Stamps. She did not like me. But in the fourth grade, Miss Stamps gives us the same speech. Every night before you go to bed, boys and girls, make sure you pray this prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins. And if you don't and you die in your sleep, you'll go to hell. And little Nazarene boy raises his hand. This is a true story. This is when they should have kicked me out of the school. I raised my hand and I said, Miss Stamps, shouldn't the prayer be, Lord, please forgive me of all my sins. And if there's sins I'm committing that I don't know about, please let me know and please help me not to commit them tomorrow. Now, I didn't know I was a little holiness boy in there. I just thought I was making, I thought this was logical. If I'm committing sins every day, why don't I not commit them tomorrow? It seems like a pretty good idea. Miss Stamps did not, this did not win her over. Uh, or I did, I did not win her over with this question, um, which I, I got so many stories and I don't need to tell you any of them because we got other things to talk about that are more important. But the reason I tell you that is, this is one of those things that, that we see in the Bible. We see it right here, James 4, 17. It is sin to know good and yet not do it. How do we deal with that as Christians? Well, I, th I think it becomes a couple things. One, we learn how to pray to a God that says, Lord, if there are things you are calling me to do and asking me to do, let, let me see them with your eyes. If there's a situation that I need to be a part of, Lord, lead me into that situation. Lead me to help. Lord, give me the words in those moments to say what I need to say. 
If there is something, I don't think this, this verse, I don't think James was saying like, hey, I'm going to write a verse that's going to scare you for the rest of your lives and you're never going to sleep well after this. I don't think that's James's intention. I think this is a story of us understanding that we, as we're going to talk about towards the end, that we walk as people of transformed lives. And we attune ourselves to God's leading in our lives. And there are situations that there are placed in our lives that we need to be a part of. There are things that we need to do, that we need to seek life. And I believe God is the one that continually pushes us in that direction. So, there are sins in our lives that we commit. There are also sins in our lives that we, we omit, that we need to be a part of. I think I've, t- I've told you all this story before. I'll just tell it real quick, just because it kind of gives you, this is one of my sins of, a, I don't know if it was, a, I don't know. This is one of those things that I struggled with. There was a day, it was back before COVID, um, Heather and I were in the hospital. We were going to, we were at uh, UAB and we were walking from like that big main lobby over to the women's center. I've told you all this story before. We were walking and there was a lady there sitting by herself crying. And we walked past and I was like, Heather, did you see that lady crying? She's like, yeah. She's like, she was having a hard time. I'm like, yeah, she was. And we just kept walking. And about five minutes later, I was like, you know what? We probably should have stopped and just see if she needed somebody to pray with her. And so I said that to Heather. And she's like, when we're done with this visit, we'll go back and see if she's there. And of course, she wasn't there. But that's one of those things in my life that kind of stops me. That in those moments where I think, if that moment happens again, I need to be attuned to what God is doing. And I feel like I missed it there, okay? I don't know if that was a sin or not. That's something that I struggle with, of trying to find those moments and be more attuned to those moments when they present themselves. Does that make sense? Okay. For three of us, it does. All right, good. All right. So we have personal sin, but then let's also talk about original sin. All right, so let's go back to our manuals because I know that's where you all want to go back to. So in our manual, if we were to go down to the original sin piece, uh, 5.1, which I know you all have your copy of your manual with you. That was sarcasm. If you go back and you read that statement, there are statements in here that are important statements. Okay, I'm not going to go through and read the whole article, but I kind of made bullet points about that article. In that article, it says, these are, this is the language it uses to talk about original sin. There's a corruption of the nature of all the offspring of Adam. That we are averse, and some of us might not know what averse was, so I put opposition, because I didn't know really, I kind of knew what it meant, but I put it up there, a uh, synonym for it. We are in opposition to God. We are without spiritual life. We are inclined to evil. All right, Romans 6.6, 6, uh, a verse we just read says to us, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, okay, our bodies are ruled by sin, might be rendered powerless. And that so we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, this is where this is important. On the cross, we have original sin and we have personal sin. Which of these was defeated by Christ on the cross? Both of them. That there is an inclination in ourselves. As the offspring of Adam, there is a corruption of our nature where we are in opposition to God. We are without spiritual life. We are inclined to evil. 
But because of what Christ did on the cross, it was, thank, thank be to God that our sins were forgiven, our personal sin, but as well, the nature of our lives have the opportunity to be transformed into the image of God. That original sin, the, the results of original sin, which the wages of sin are what? Death. The results of original sin are done away with on the cross where we can have life and have that life eternally. And so when we talk about sin and when Paul talks about sin, Paul is talking about personal sin. He's talking about sins of commission, sins of omission, but he's also talking about original sin. That all of this is wrapped up into this. And if we understand that the sin that was defeated on the cross, the sin that is being talked about in Romans isn't just whether or not I did this or did that or whether, you know, it's, it's bigger than that. That the sin that was defeated on the cross is the sin that enslaves all of humanity, the sin that is the corruption of our nature that God created us to be in. That our lives can be transformed because of what happened on the cross. All right, so let's go to the, let's go to the next piece. That's just, uh, that's kind of the one that I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. Oh, actually, I have a quote. Let's read this quote first. This is Michael Gorman, who's one of my favorite authors, and this is from his commentary on Romans. And I think it just kind of pulls this whole piece together and kind of takes us to the next piece. He says, it is impossible to be in Christ and remain in sin. There is absolutely no place for cheap grace in the Christian life. What does he mean by cheap grace? That's a reference uh, back to Bonhoeffer. Uh, and cheap grace is that grace, kind of the, what, the Catherine Schiffendecker story I told y'all. Okay, just kind of the grace that says, hey, I'll just keep sinning. God will keep forgiving. It's all good. There's no place for cheap grace in the Christian life. In baptism, believers have relocated. They have died to the power called sin. They have terminated their bondage and allegiance to it. Therefore, we now present our bodies to God, not to sin. So, there's my statement on sin. We all, everybody good? All right, so let's go to grace. This one will be a little bit shorter, but we'll kind of keep moving through it. So the second piece is, is we, don't, we don't understand grace. So what is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is, as I mentioned earlier, it's God's joy. Grace is undeserved favor, and there's a, there's a, a worldly term called karma. You all know what karma is? Karma is when you get what you deserve. Well, what is grace? It's the opposite. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve, which is salvation, which is God's love, which is God's life. In grace, we get what we don't deserve. We get God's love. We get God's favor. Maybe the, the better way uh, to say this is maybe I need to change kind of the, the statement from we don't understand grace. Maybe the better way to say this is we don't understand the continuing role of grace in our lives. Because sometimes when we talk about grace, we say, well, I'm a sinner. God's grace makes salvation possible. And then that's it, right? No, no. grace is a part of our lives that lives inside of us. That grace is something that is a part of everything that we do. Some of you might've grown up in churches and the church that I grew up in when we were in college, we started doing this 
uh, instead of just shaking hands at the beginning of uh, services, you would pass the grace and peace to one another. That you would look at one another, one, uh, one another at the beginning of the service and you would say, Dwight, grace and peace to you. What, what are you saying when you do that? What I'm saying is, is Dwight, the way that God has acted in my life and what God has done for me, the undeserved favor God has given to me, I, I, I hope God does that for you. And, and as a Christian, the, 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 the way that we go into our world is people who say to one another, grace to you. I, I hope God treats you the way that God has treated me. I hope God's favor rests upon you the way that God's favor has rested upon me. That it's something that is continual in our lives. It's something that lives in our lives. That it's not something that just happens at the moment of salvation. Or as Nazarenes, we talk about provenient grace. It happens before salvation. But it's something that lives in our daily lives. That the person that we get most angry at, that we learn to look at them and say grace to you. The girl in front of us at the stoplight who can't get off her phone to make the left-hand turn while the light is green, that we say grace to you, that I hope God treats you the way he has treated me, with love, with kindness, with mercy, that God forgives your sins. And as the people of God, we, we begin to live that life. We begin to live that out in what we do. And this is where we understand that life comes from, that it is continuing into our lives. Look at verse 11 down there. It says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive, alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does that life look like? It looks like a life where we say to one another, grace to you. May God act in your life. May God, God's joy overflow in your life. May God work in your life the way that God has worked in my life. That we say that to the people that we love, but we also say that to the people that we struggle with. The people that we might sometimes say even are our enemies. We say grace to you. Because I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that changes the way that we see one another. Grace is a new state of being. Grace is about being transformed. Grace is about being freed from the power of sin and death. It's about our lives forever changing. Grace makes me a part of a new movement in the world. Of what it means to walk in the newness of life. Grace calls us into that. All right, so let's get to our third one. So first one was, we don't understand sin. We don't understand grace. And the last one, we don't understand the work of the cross concerning transformation. All right, this is the one that I have a lot to cover, and I'm going to try to do it very quickly. All right, it's 11.32. I'm going to do good. All right, here we go. So... Let's go back just for a second. We have gone through, if you worship with us regularly, we started back middle of Advent going through Matthew's gospel. We went through Matthew's gospel till the Sunday after Easter and then the Sunday after Easter, then we started on Acts and we moved into Romans. Let's go back to Matthew, okay? One of the things we talked about in Matthew's gospel is the idea that Matthew uses with the kingdom of heaven. 
I looked it up the other day. 31 times in Matthew's gospel does he use the term, the kingdom of heaven. Now, we talked about it then, in case you don't remember, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? There is no difference. What most people believe, the reason Matthew writes the kingdom of heaven goes back to his audience. That he's writing to primarily a Jewish audience and in writing to a primarily Jewish audience that they uh, created an obstacle for them to talk about the divine name. And so it was easier to just use the kingdom of heaven. So that was kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. We're gonna use, those are interchangeable. Everybody with me? All right, so Matthew's point, 31 times. What, was, what is part of what Matthew is wanting us to see in that gospel? I think the point that Matthew is wanting us to see is that there are forces in this world that are opposed to the ways of God. And for Matthew, in his time period and in his gospel, and for Paul as well, but these forces of opposition were best represented by the Roman Empire. Okay? So there are forces in the world that are opposed to the ways of God. And one of the primary messages as you walk through Matthew's gospel is that Jesus' message stood in opposition to the kingdom of Rome. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. This is from the Lord's Prayer. We should, most of us would probably know the reference. But look at what Jesus, what he teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's why I bring all this up. This, this little word, heaven, for a lot of us, when I say, tell me about heaven, you'd say, well, that's where we go when we die. Sure, okay, I'm, I'm not saying that's not, that's true, okay, I'm, I'm with you. But sometimes we, we, we get too little of a picture of heaven. Heaven is not just about what happens when we die. Heaven is the place where God sits enthroned. Heaven is the place where God sits enthroned and after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, where Jesus sits at his right hand. Heaven is the place that we understand where the reign and the rule of God is whole, it's complete. And Jesus says to us, your kingdom, your, your king, this, this kingdom where you reign and rule, may it come down here. May it come down to this earth. May your reign and your rule not just be something that happens in heaven, but it's something that happens right here. And what we understand from Matthew's gospel, a big piece of Jesus' message was that that reign and that rule isn't just something that's going to happen in the future, but it's something that is present in Christ. It's something that's present in the resurrection, and it's something that is present in the church. That the reign of heaven is something that is present in the way that we live. It changes our lives, it changes our ethics, it changes how we look at one another, it changes how we look at our neighbor. And if we're going to be the people of God that understand this, if we're gonna be a people of God who live this out, that we understand that heaven is the place of God's rule, that heaven is the place of God's reign, 
the passage that I mentioned earlier from Revelation. 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, for some of you that really like to go to the beach, that might concern you, there's no beach in heaven. No, that's not what he's thinking, kid. That's not what, Jesus, that's not what he's talking about. That the chaos of this world is no more. That it's gone. That the life-destroying chaos, the ways of the empire, the ways of the world are no more. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, uh, John, this is a really long way from Romans chapter 6. I don't know how we got here. I don't know what you were doing this week to think these two things connect. So let me pull them together. We don't understand the work of the cross concerning transformation. Christ did more than to die for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ established a new life and a new reign of the kingdom of God here on earth. That Christ gave us a life that is transformed, a life that is modeled after his life, a life that is modeled after the things of heaven. And when Paul says, or the people say to Paul, you know what, let me tell you something, God, now we're fine. I like to sin, God likes to forgive. We're missing the transformation of what God is doing. We're missing that the kingdom of this world has been defeated and has been destroyed and that the kingdom of God is being enacted in God's people. That when we go out into the world, we don't just go out into the world as people, but we go out into the world as God's people, people who are ruled by a new reign, people who are ruled by a God. Look at how Paul kind of wraps this, this passage up and we'll, we'll land this plane. Chapter eight, or chapter six, verse eight. So if we died with Christ, okay, what did Christ defeat? He, for, he defeated sin, right? Yes. He also defeated the empire, the kingdoms of this world. So if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. This kingdom, the kingdom that's ruled by death, the empire of this world, no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. For sin, this, this world, this kingdom, this empire will not rule over you. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jump down to verse 14. For the sin will not rule over you. This will not rule over you because you are not under the law. Where are you? We're, we're under grace. We're, we're under God's joy. We're under God's life. Christ, 
died on the cross to forgive our sins. But don't miss the cosmic aspect of what happened on the cross. Death was defeated. The empire was defeated. And Paul is saying to us, why in the world do you want to live under that reign and that rule? When you can live under the reign and the rule of God. Because we know the end of the story. We know the rest of the story. We know that death is defeated. We know that when it's all said and done and we flip over to Revelation, we know what happens. That the world that God established through his son, Jesus Christ, is the world that survives. And and we're already a part of it. Today, as we close, I know I just threw a whole lot of theology at you. I threw a whole lot of Romans, and that's just kind of the way the past through this This whole sermon could have been a whole series in itself. But what I hope is, is that when we go from this place, when we move out of Romans, we begin to understand what God is doing. That we begin to understand that what God is doing in our lives is way bigger than I think most of us ever realize. That God is bringing about a new kingdom. That God is bringing about new life. That God is transforming our lives. And we get to walk in the newness of life. We get to walk in the newness of a life that lasts forever. And today, I hope that as we go, we go knowing we walk in that life. That our lives have been transformed. That the chaos has been pushed back. And that our God walks with us and leads us wherever we go. And we live as new people with new lives. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We thank you that as we have come to worship and as we uh, have come this morning to, to fellowship and be together, Lord, we thank you for the life that you have given us. And Lord, we just pray today that as we go, we go knowing that we are a part of a new kingdom, that we are a part of a new life. And Lord, that we are people of grace. Give us that life as we go. Give us that life as we go from this place. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. This morning before we go, may we be reminded That sin doesn't get the last word, but grace does. That lies don't get the last word, but truth does. That evil doesn't get the last word, but good does. That darkness doesn't get the last word, but light does. That death doesn't get the last word, but life does. May we go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior. Amen.